0: Welcome back to Wool Shift Dust, a Silo TV podcast, where your hosts, Alicia Brenner and Luke Middick, and we'll be your custodians with the keys to all things Silo, the dystopic sci-fi thriller from Apple TV+. Please consider this your official spoiler warning. We will be discussing episode six of Silo and everything leading up to it, and I will be discussing the equivalent parts of the book. But don't worry, I won't be spoiling any of the twists and turns to come. I must preserve the lore innocence of my co-host Luke our resident political historian, who is representing new fans to the story. This week, we'll be digging up all the dirt around The Relic, Episode 6. This episode was written by Arik Avellino, a writer whose past work, like episodes of Blindspot and Animal Kingdom, I'm not familiar with, but whose name I'll definitely be paying attention to after this episode of Television. The episode was directed by Burton and Bertie, a female directing duo, especially known for their comedic chops, having directed some of my favorite episodes of the Hawkeye series, as well as some episodes of Our Flag Means Death, which is basically the pirate version of What We Do in the Shadows, a comedy vampire show. So that explains why the jokes landed so well for me personally, at least.
1: Judicial face over there was a particular... <laughs> yeah,
0: that was a good one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess I've given away some of my feelings about the episode already, but before I go any further... Luke, what are your overall thoughts on episode six?
1: Well, I've got Georgia on my mind, Alicia. I've got Georgia on my mind. Because I'm just, I'm just hugely confused at this point. I don't know whether I like the direction the show is going in. I don't know whether I dislike the direction the show it's going in. I'm not even sure I understand what direction the show is going in at this point. But I will tell you one thing. I really want to watch the next episode. Well, that's the like people have been saying in the, the discord and on twitter that they wish the next episode would drop and i I'm, I'm right there with them yeah i i really want to know what happens next
0: honestly me too um yeah they definitely drop some bombs for book readers uh yeah I can't wait to get into all of them Uh, This was definitely my favorite episode yet. I I was absolutely buzzing when it was done. The reveals at the end were mind-blowing, but I was hanging on every word of the script way before that too. Okay,
1: so as a book reader, how befuddled are you by the direction the show is
0: going in? I mean, maybe in some ways twice as befuddled. Okay. (laughs) Because it's, I mean, I think what we're getting is, you know, we're getting a remix of the books. And yeah, there's, some elements that have popped up that seem to be coming from later books, like, for instance, you know, we talked about The Digger before. This also pertains to the room we saw at the end. A lot of book readers think that that's a specific location from uh, that's prominent in the second book. But then, like, Hugh Howey's been going around the internet saying that it's everything is from Wool. But I'm like, you know what? I guess that's kind of true. Because, like, for instance, The Digger was introduced in Wool, even though it becomes, like, a bigger part of the plot later. And I think that might be the same for that final room we saw that, you know, that's something that was introduced in the book, Wool, something that a lot of us thought we would see in the season finale for this, but maybe we're seeing it sooner or maybe it's something else altogether. I don't know. We're even book readers are arguing amongst ourselves.
1: So the bottom line is everybody's a little bit befuddled.
0: Yeah, that's right. Okay. Uh, I get that some people thought the start of the episode was slow, but for me, like this was a sweet spot. The dialogue was snappy, the chemistry was on fire, and the exploration of emotions and relationships was nuanced and expertly crafted, like a fine wine. There's so much to unpack here. So, yeah, I'm ready to get started. What about you, Luke? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Let's get into it.
0: All right, we'll be right back after a quick commercial break. Your regularly scheduled breakdown will begin in three, two, one, We open this episode with Dear Deceased Creepy George, played by Ferdinand Kingsley, and Juliet Rebecca Ferguson. They're cuddling in their secret love nest in the Digger Room, the first of many flashbacks taking place sometime before George died under mysterious circumstances three or so months ago. My heart was breaking for them, seeing the connection they have in these scenes. The chemistry between these two actors is absolutely scorching, and like the teasing felt so warm and natural. I'm not usually a fan of handheld camera work. The way it jerks around and everything, but this really added to the feeling that you were seeing something private of Juliet, something intimate, and at least, you know, partially, literally undressed. But I also appreciate that they made it about the mental and emotional connection and not the sex. Uh, Luke, leaving aside what we later hear about George, they really sold these two as a couple in this episode, didn't they? Oh,
1: absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head when you used the word intimate, because that that's exactly how these scenes played out. And what's, what's really sweet about this scene is both of these characters, particularly Juliet, but I think also, to some extent, George, they're both kind of a bit socially awkward. They're not really people people, particularly Juliet. And like, you do get the sense that that George is one of the few people that Juliet has ever felt this way, has probably ever ever felt this way about. And there's a a really sweet scene later on after Juliet fixes the watch where she's trying to explain to George why she did it. And that, that scene is really well written. Oh, yeah. Because the inarticulateness of that scene is what sells it. It must be difficult as a writer to write characters who are a little bit inarticulate.
0: I feel like she phrased it perfectly, though. I did actually, it's written out in my notes. And when we discuss that scene in more depth, um, I'm going to give the word for word because I just think that that was absolutely beautiful and human and just like. Yeah, just really sweet. Very real. Yeah, I love how we get a glimpse behind Juliet's walls, uh, showing us what's going on in her head and what's influencing her actions throughout the episode and, you yeah, know, what's going to be influencing her actions going forward, of course. But Jules, come on, like a guy comes running to the slums out of nowhere, proclaiming he has no friends, but a stash of illegal objects. That's like Red Flag City right there.
1: Yeah, that has to be said. Maybe getting into a relationship with George isn't the smartest move, but you know, love is blind and all that.
0: Oh no, yeah. I'm not saying that I wouldn't have fallen hook, line and sinker, but yeah, had to be said. <laughs> yeah, he's a,
1: he's a real charmer as George. I mean, we find out more about that later on in the episode, but...
0: Yeah, in the next flashback, we revisit uh, the tape story that we've heard in previous episodes and we get our next red flag. So apparently when Jules needed that much-discussed supply tape, he calls it her precious tape, and she clarifies, no, it's mechanical and the silos necessary tape. But it turns out all he did was draw her a bad map, and she had to do the rest herself. But she emphasizes again that the tape saves lives, although she uses the adjective shitty to describe the quality of IT's tape the second time she's called it that. She says it's like mechanical tape's good, IT's tape is shitty. Luke, any thoughts on the latest entry into the ongoing tape controversy?
1: No, but I thought this little conversation gave a fascinating little bit of world building that was like blinking, you'd miss it. She talks about feeding the guard dogs bacon, which means people in the silo do eat meat. Yeah, true. Which I thought was interesting.
0: Yeah, they have the farms. So yeah, we know they have cows, they have rabbits, uh, I think sheep. Yeah,
1: but I would have thought from the point of view of, you know, using space the most efficient way possible, that vegetarianism would be more or less mandatory.
0: I mean, it should be. No, I'm kidding. I'm kind of kidding. (laughs) 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 But yeah, no, I mean, we can see, you know, Sims has got his leather jacket. So they're butchering cows. Yeah. Yeah. About the tape, though, it's funny, though, that in the books, Jules just had a friend in supply hook her up. She didn't like physically go and steal it herself. But I'm guessing this was changed to add like more shades of grey to her relationship with George. It's an example of him helping her get into a questionable situation and then letting her do the hard parts on her own.
1: I don't know. I I think Juliet would have stolen the tape whether George had agreed to
0: help her or not, to be honest. Could well be. Could well be. I also found it interesting yeah, that the supply apparently has guard dogs.
1: But not very good ones. No, apparently.
0: Everyone knows you can distract them with bacon. <laughs> yeah. But it didn't. Yeah, it still surprised me when a main Coon cat popped up later. Okay. But yeah, so in a great character building conversation, Juliet says to George that she only takes risks like the tape theft for the greater good. And she implies that it's frivolous to put yourself in danger for these strange things, as she calls George's relics, to which he replies with the line of the episode for me. He says, if these things aren't worth risking our lives for, why do they make it a risk to our lives to have them? Yeah, great line. Yeah.
1: Great line. Tells you everything you need to know about George. That's right up there with Holston going, you know, sorry for the fuss. Yeah, that's in terms true. of just explaining an entire character in one line.
0: Yeah, no, bravo to the writers of both those lines. And then George gives Juliet the watch broken, and she gives it back to him later fixed. I was wondering, Luke, if what if they brought him in for interviews because the watch was working? Like they had to know how it was fixed. What do you think?
1: That hadn't occurred to me, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense because Juliet says she has to make the tools, right? Exactly to fix it, she has to fabricate the tools to fix it. So yes, that that makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's like you know how her mom once got in trouble for making that magnifying machine. Probably like just knowing how how did somebody even have the tools to fix this would like make some powers that be nervous yeah so I think it's kind of sweet that George lied, and you know, in the files she saw in the interview, he lied saying he had no one, so I don't I think he was protecting her, which is obviously more than his ex did for him. So uh, yeah, and then in their third flashback together, um this is the one that was like that we both were really touched by. so George he lectures Juliet about the traces people leave behind and how everything can be traced. And I can't help but think that George would have been really into wine if he lived in our world, as someone who's really into wine. And then we get him saying the line from the trailer, do you ever think about a world beyond the silo? And she asks when she would have time for that with her V.I.J., her very important job. And George is trying to get her to live in the moment with him and his pressure valve looking face as she teases him. Now, this conversation is not in the books. Uh, We never get a flashback with George like this, but the sentiments here directly reflect some thoughts that Juliet has in the book, Uh, namely. She thinks the forbidden dreams of the outside world she saw were sad and empty dreams, dead dreams. The people of the up top who worshipped this view had it all backwards. The future was below. That's where the oil came from because they, the machine ran on oil, not steam, that provided their power, the minerals that became anything useful, the nitrogen that renewed the soil and the farms. Any who shadowed in the footsteps of chemistry and metallurgy knew this. Those who read children's books. Those who tried to piece together the mystery of a forgotten and unknowable past remained deluded. Luke, does this sound like the same Jules to you?
1: Yeah, it does. Sort of eminently practical, eminently sort of focused on what on the immediate needs of the silo, and then anything beyond that is unnecessary. Yeah. Not only is she a very practical person, but she's a very forward-looking person. You know, solve the immediate problem in front of you and move on.
0: Right, yeah. And I think it's interesting, it refers to people who read children's books, considering she spends the episode doing that at the end. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's true that Julia, she does seem drawn to dreamers. Um, I guess opposites attract. Uh, I like that they show that here and explain how she finds happiness in helping, you know, like George live his dream. When George asks her why she spent all that time fixing the watch, she says, because when you talk about these things, something lights in you and I can see it in your face. And I don't see that on other people. And, you know, whatever that feeling is, when you feel it, I feel it too. And it's not just here, it's, it's afterwards. It's what I'm trying to say is I have fixed your watch for selfish reasons because I really like the way that I feel when I make you feel the way that you do. Which, I'm sorry, it's kind of the most romantic thing I've ever heard.
1: Yeah, and like anybody that's ever been in a couple, anybody that's ever been in love knows exactly what. The feeling Jules is describing, yeah, is it's just a really nice way of describing a feeling that the English language doesn't have,
0: right? A specific word for, yeah, exactly. It's like the opposite of Schadenfreude, yeah. <laughs> Schadenfreude, I don't know. But so, also, I'd like to point out, good people, what we've got here is not just a confirmed to be bisexual misanthrope, but Juliet is specifically a bona fide sapiosexual the best kind of sexual, in my opinion, she likes them busy in the brain.
1: Okay. I didn't know there was a specific word for that.
0: (laughs) It's something sometimes, yeah, yeah. You see it online people like I'm a sapiosexual just means I value someone's brain above the rest of the package. Cool. So in their final flashback together, especially, yeah, we definitely see that George, he believes his whole world is a lie. And so I I can kind of understand in a way that there's nothing more important to him than finding out the truth. What do you think, Luke?
1: Yeah, and I think that this sets up what we find out about George or what we think we find out about George. Right. Later on in the episode, that maybe, maybe all these flashbacks from George's point of view aren't what we think they are. Right. Or maybe not entirely what we think they are.
0: Yeah, but we're also getting that information uh, from an unreliable narrator in some ways. We are. That's yeah. that's very true. But yeah, uh, so while these flashbacks with Juliet and George, they're threaded throughout the episode, which in the rest of the episode takes place in the present tense. So the present tense of the story, this starts with Juliet. Uh, she's getting a custodian to open the door to Douglas Trumbull's apartment, the guy Sim sent over the rails at the end of the last episode. Side note, our comedic custodian is played by Delroy Atkinson. I saw some people excited about him being from EastEnders online. um, And when I looked him up on IMDb, it turns out he's one of those guys that pops up in everything. And importantly, he's credited as a custodian, not a janitor, uh, and he's not wearing the yellow overalls that I've been seeing on people I assume are maintenance like Patrick Kennedy. Okay. Luke, are you familiar with this actor? No, I'm I'm not. I'm
1: not a big EastEnders fan. No. EastEnders, by the way, for those that don't know, is like a long running soap opera um, in the UK. And yeah, any famous British actor will have passed through EastEnders at some point in their career because it just has an insatiable demand for extras and minor <laughs> characters. So any actor that can stand and speak has been in it
0: at some point. Yeah, I looked him up and he's been in like 26 episodes or something like that. So, or even more maybe. So apparently he was a, a regular for a while, but I don't know. I don't watch it either. Yeah. But anyway, he only sticks around long enough to tell us that judicial apartments have a separate set of keys. Interesting. Luckily the locks are apparently just as easy to pick because when Juliet goes inside with her new chief deputy Billings and deputy Carrens played by Chinaza Uche and Angela Yo respectively she's already planted the pez dispenser there for them to find so she's planting evidence in the apartment of the guy who is planting evidence in other people's apartments i guess she got to at least take one trick out of her boyfriend's murderer's bag
1: yeah, I like the fact that the episode resolves very early on what she needed the pez dispenser for, because right. that was one of the that was one of the mysteries from last episode. So that that's a very nice example of sort of planting and payoff, right? Um, and again, I think it just underlines the determination that Juliet has got to find out what is going on at this point. She really doesn't care that much for her own safety at this point, or I get the feeling that that she's more than willing to sacrifice her own safety for the mission of finding out who killed George.
0: Yeah, definitely. Oh, by the way, the deputy, the deputy Molly Carnes, the woman who goes in with them, that's the name we saw in George's file last week. So that's a deputy who was present when when George was interviewed about the watch. So Juliet knows this about her. And um, that kind of adds an interesting extra dynamic to her being there at that moment. So you don't think it was coincidental
1: that she was there?
0: No, I mean, I'm sure it was coincidental, but Juliet also knows at the same time, like that probably keeps a little distance where she's like, well, this is someone who was uh, part of implicating my boyfriend that ended up in his death. Yeah. That's fair enough. Other than that. Yeah. A bunch of people have been asking questions about the drawing on the wall in his apartment in Trumbull's apartment. Um, it's of Trumbull and an older man, presumably his father I just thought I should acknowledge that, but I don't have anything profound to say about it, except that someone pointed out that the father looks kind of like an aged up Hugh Howie, the author of the books. So they're not wrong about that. So it's kind of funny. Um, That's a nice little touch. Yeah. But I think it's just meant to remind us that Trumbull was also a person with a family. And now he's dead. So sad. Moving on. The next time we see the present, Juliet, she's waking up next to her big ticking time watch. Uh, she slaps it on her wrist and heads out to work while the camera lingers on the mirror with the vase in front of it. At which point, I think half the viewing audience was thinking, double the flowers in front of the mirror and from their mm-hmm. heads. But at this point in the episode, we don't yet know why that is. We don't know why these instructions were left. And at work, Juliet wants to know more about where this malicious, pernicious Pez dispenser came from. She knows it came from George, of course, but where did he get it? But after her database search of, you know, the sheriff's database turns up empty, she finds out that all the real relic intel rests with, nobody doubted it for a second, judicial. But of course, she needs to manipulate Billings a little bit again to get there. So Billings, he comes in and he finds out that his boss has beaten him to work for the first time ever. An interesting departure from Jules, who was more diligent than that. But he's horrified to see that she hasn't turned in the candy machine. She hasn't turned it over to judicial yet. And it turns out that Jules knows that the rules say that an investigation into a relic can be launched when said relic is associated with a serious crime. By planting the Pez dispenser in Trumbull's apartment, she got it associated with his serious crimes of killing, on paper at least, Johns and Marnes. So she's ready to go down to Relic Town, but she knows she's going to be stopped by judicial unless she plays their little game with them. Or as she puts it, why don't they just rip the pages out of the pact and leave one that says, see Judge Meadows?
1: What's interesting about this and what's interesting about Billings as a character is, like, the pact, like I said, I sort of, when the first couple of times it was mentioned, I thought of it as sort of a, a Ten Commandments style document. But really, it's this sort of dense legal code because Juliet refers to, articles, like, it has at least 74 articles and each one of these articles. Seems to have like multiple subclauses to them, so it's a it's a really detailed code of law.
0: Well, we've seen the book; it's a thick book.
1: Yeah, that Billings has won a competition for yeah. memorizing
0: four times. Four times more than anyone else. Yeah, you get a pin for it and everything. <laughs> He's such a Boy Scout. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Luke, speaking of the Pact competition, does it remind you of anything like, like a spelling bee or is like, I don't know, there's got to be like a Bible reciting competition or something?
1: Yeah, the one it reminded me of was, I don't know if you know this, but... Um... Ted Cruz can apparently recite the entire US Constitution from memory because as a teenager he would take part in competitions where people memorized their Constitution and had to like speak it back to an audience, and the person with the fewest flaws or hesitations won the competition. And apparently, like Ted Cruz is like the real life equivalent of Billings, he won like national competitions several times over for doing that.
0: Oh my gosh, you're probably right, but also that's such an insult to Billings. <laughs> <laughs> Poor, sweet, sick Billings. Yeah. If you lived in the silo, would you take part in the Pact competition?
1: Yeah, I think I probably would. That's the kind of thing I'd be doing. Yeah. To be honest, of all the
0: characters we've encountered on the show so
1: far, I think I'd be Billings. Okay.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, yeah, I mean, it sounds super lame, but I probably would have been all over it when I was younger. I like to think that uh, silo adult me would be just as jaded as non-silo adult me, though. <laughs> yeah. So one thing of note here, though, by the way, is that um, Billing says that nowadays uh, Judge Meadows isn't even the one who pins medals on the winners. Sims does that now, as you said. Yeah,
1: and of course we find out in a little bit that Judge Meadows is not feeling well, which is interesting.
0: Yeah. So Jules. She needs innocent little Boy Scout Billings to play the puppet for her so that she can get what she wants answers, but first, Billings has a note for her from recycling her friend there hasn't found what she's looking for, whatever that is. Luke, what do you think she's looking for in recycling?
1: I'm not sure um something from Patrick Kennedy's apartment maybe something maybe something from the apartments of the people that were on Mans's list um I'm not sure really.
0: I'm thinking, because they did have in the, um, from last week, you know, flashback at the start of the episode, they reminded us that somebody told her um, anything that's, oh yeah, Sandy told her anything that she's missing from Olsen's apartment might have made its way to recycling. So I'm guessing we're supposed to assume she's looking for the hard drive at recycling. Wouldn't that have been processed through recycling now,
1: though, by this point?
0: Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I don't know. It seems like a desperate ploy regardless. And I don't just don't see, I, I see Holston doing something better with it than that. Yeah. But I also thought, like, wouldn't it be sweet if, it, if she was looking for the little stuffed dog? Though I bet we'll find out her dad still has that.
1: Yeah, I would put pretty good money on that. And we are, I think, going to see Dr.
0: Nichols in the next episode. Absolutely. He's in the thumbnail. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but Juliet is sheriff. Uh, so that does come with some special privileges. So she gets to actually be one of the rare people to interact with Judge Meadows. So off they go. And the silo is buzzing with Forgiveness Day energy. Luke, what do you make of this holiday? What do you think it's about?
1: It seemed to be like just, I thought when they said forgiveness, that was like, you know, forgiveness of crime in terms of an amnesty.
0: Oh, yeah, that that is what they mean.
1: And that is part of what they mean. But they also seem to mean like forgiveness on a societal level, you know, it's a time for sort of friends and family to to get together and people Mm. from different levels of the silo to to mix. So it was sort of, yeah, there's official forgiveness in there. But I took it as being actually a bit broader than that and a time to sort of bury the hatchet with people as well.
0: Mm. Yeah. Um, Well, there do seem to be some signs encouraging people to travel to other levels. So I guess they're, like, getting people to spend their credits and, like, boost the silo economy. Yeah, I
1: thought it was quite a nice idea, actually.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it seems like pretty much everyone is out and about. At one point, I even noticed a couple people carrying a man in a wheelchair, which got me in a mental spiral thinking about why they don't have ramps. (laughs) And then I realized, aside from the fact that the silo sociology is too selfish for that, like, I guess it would be really steep. So not practical.
1: Okay, I'd have to go back and watch that because I missed that little detail, actually.
0: Yeah, at one point when they're like walking down the stairs, and uh, like Juliet and and um and Billings, you see some people carrying a guy up okay. behind them. Yeah, yeah. So Juliet and Billings reach judicial, and Sims, played by Common, is greeting them on the landing, and Juliet notices Billings clutching his own hand oddly, but she's too focused on Judge Meadows, played by Tanya Moody, who seems off yeah luke you were mentioning before that she's not feeling well yeah so she literally says at the beginning of this
1: encounter can we get this over with quickly because i'm not yeah. feeling well
0: yeah she's out of it she's snapping at juliet she's sulking in her chair drinking some cloudy looking translucent liquid i was thinking sort of a lemon tea sip kind of thing yeah, going on think? there okay yeah, Yeah, and as you pointed out last week, Luke Sims seems to very much be the person in charge in this room, uh, intervening in any interaction between Juliet and Meadows. And
1: also, I thought it was interesting that Bernard, when he was head of IT, seemed to have a nicer office than, than, the, judge? than you think? the
0: judge. I thought the judge's office was quite luxe.
1: The judge's office is bigger, but Bernard's was better decorated.
0: Oh, you think? I thought it was quite luxe, but it was it's very dark, though. But maybe it's dark because she's not feeling well? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe we're supposed to read dark intentions into it. What do you think's going on with her, though? Who knows? I mean, it could, just,
1: it could just be she's got a bit of a cold, the writers wanted to keep this meeting fairly short and sweet, and they wanted a reason why Sims would be the person sort of leading the meeting. Alternatively, the judge may have the syndrome. She may be seriously ill and given what we know about sims's character i i mean maybe i'm reaching here but i would not put it past him to be slowly poisoning his boss
0: oh that's where i was going to be honest because you know we have all these comments about how sims is like even pinning the you know the prizes on uh, pact winners we see him taking control it seems like nobody gets access to meadows unless you know they're literally the sheriff And it doesn't
1: seem like Sims has a whole lot of respect for Meadows as a character.
0: No, yeah. So I wonder if she's being kept weak and, you know, away as a puppet of sorts. Mm -hmm. But Juliet, she's there for a purpose, to request a relics investigation. She's even pulled some quotes from the pack out to uh, suck up. Though Sims calls her out, says his little boy knows the pack better than she does. But he does grant her permission, pointing out that Forgiveness Day is a good day to get people to cooperate in investigations because they know minor crimes will be forgiven. So she just has to take billings with her, of course. Now, Sims is 100% certain that the Pez dispenser did not belong to Trumbull. He's right, but it's weird that he knows that. And he also flat out calls her out for wearing George's watch and, you know, citing it as George's watch. So that's the first of several times this happens in this episode alone. But Jules, she's got a stubborn mule brain, and she ain't taking it off for anything.
1: I mean, this is the thing: Sims knows she planted the pest dispenser in Doug Trumbull's apartment. Well, not yeah,
0: not for sure yet. He'll figure it out. But
1: yeah, um, yeah, he figures it out late, but I think he, I think he already sort of was ninety percent of the way there by the yeah. the time this conversation happens. But he can't reveal that he thinks that without tipping his hand to Juliet that he knows much more about. He can't do it without basically giving up more information than he's willing to give up at this point. Yeah. So that I think is the reason why Sims changes his mind and says, okay, you can do the investigation as long as you take Billings with you because I think he realizes that he has no legitimate way of stopping the investigation without revealing much more to Juliet than he wants to at this point.
0: Uh, Yeah, and Sims, knowing full well that he killed the guy who killed George, uh, he forces Juliet, if she wants to play along, to pretend her boyfriend's death was probably an accident. She even ends up tangling up Holston's name in her lie. Luke, where's Sims sitting for you this week? Like, should we change the name of the Jules to Bernard scale to the Jules to Sims scale?
1: Yeah, because I'm starting to like Bernard. (laughs) I don't know where this happened or when this happened, but yeah, I'm starting to like Bernard now yeah so i think we i think we need to change the bernard scale to the sims scale common is giving a really good performance right he really balances the the sinister side of sims well with the sort of human side of sims so he's not he clearly is an antagonist but he's not a mustache twirling villain like you believe him as a fully rounded character and yeah i think i think Oh, I think Common seems to really be enjoying the part, which I think helps with the quality of the performance as well. Like, you can tell he's really putting everything into it. I think everybody on the show is, to be honest. I think that's one of the reasons why it's as good as it is.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. And um, yeah, Sims knows all about the relics, of course, because of that secret other relics database where we can see on his screen he's been given all access it seems there's always a secret second set of everything for judicial. We got other relics database, other apartment keys, other evidence investigations and evidence folders. Luke, what do you make of this?
1: What I found really interesting about this is on that database, when Common looks it up, they not only know about the PEZ
0: dispenser, they know what it is. It's listed as a PEZ. Well, it, it does say PEZ on it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. It says it literally on the...
1: Oh, okay. So they've just seen that it says, I thought they actually knew it was a person Spencer and what it No, did. no, no, no. But okay, no. Because
0: just... if you pause when later on he pulls out like the text version, like where it's all written out, and you pause, and it's elaborately described, but they have no idea what it's for.
1: Oh, okay, okay. I'm reading way too much into that. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um. But yeah, in terms of the duplicates, um, unfortunately for Juliet, she's no Allison, so computer locks are a lot harder for her to pick than silo apartment locks. So she doesn't have access to this extra information that Sims has. But we do get a glimpse of it as viewers. So if you pause the screen on Sims' computer, you can see the PEZ dispenser is classified as a small container, whereas most of the relics they've collected are classified as scientific instruments. So this goes along with the yeah watch tool theory and what happened with Juliet's mom.
1: And it goes back to what George was saying earlier on in the flashbacks, that all of this stuff was used by somebody at some time as a tool. And I'm thinking it's a pest dispenser and a plastic version of the Eiffel Tower. It's like,
0: I'm liking your optimism, George, but but no, not really. Hey, I'm sure those things meant something to somebody sometime. Yeah, I'm sure they did, yeah. but they will not use as tool <laughs> The pest dispenser is a tool to get sugar into your mouth. We talked about this. That's okay, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, computers are not so impossible to hack. So that's why we're probably actually seeing two other relics databases. So not just the computer system, but we already mentioned the physical book with handwritten pages and even more information. And it's in these pages where he realizes that the Pez dispenser is one of the relics that George was accused of having. So they knew it was in George's possession, though when they went to search the apartment, um, it was gone because he had, been, he had moved it to the digger room to hide all that stuff there. But ultimately, the Pez gets bagged and tagged as a biohazard. Dangerous to your blood sugar, I tell you. But they don't know that. <laughs> Luke, do you have any uh, thoughts on why they're so afraid of the Pez?
1: I don't know why they're so afraid of relics in general. And I think this is one of the mysteries at the heart of the show. It's not just that they don't know anything about the world before the silo was built. It's clear that one of judicial's like primary missions is to make sure that people don't find out anything about the world, A, pre-rebellion, B, b pre the construction of the silo. It's not accidental that this history's been erased. And the one thing we don't know is why, like, because clearly this has been judicial's mission since whenever the silo was built. So why, why are they so determined that people shouldn't find out about the world
0: before the silo was built? Ignorance is bliss. Seemingly, yes. Okay. So while Sims is doing his whole private investigation, Juliet is out working the silo with Billings. First stop, Patrick Kennedy, who Juliet says owes her one after she saved him from being the stooge that judicial was going to pin Marnes' murder on kennedy is played by rick gomez and he kind of stole the show for a lot of people this week was this a standout character for you it
1: was because the poor guy the poor guy just wants to be left alone at this point <laughs> like he just wants to get on with painting his walls and maybe doing a bit of trading in relics on the side he's just had enough of all of this and like the thing is you can tell he's a. You can tell he's a survivor. And I love the bit where he's, he goes to Billings. At least the old guys had the, uh, had the decency to introduce themselves. And Billings said, well, I'm Deputy Billings. Who gives a... Am I allowed to swear on this podcast? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Who gives course. a fuck? Yeah,
0: and then he, and he walks away. <laughs> and he just and he walks says away. Yeah. I barked out with laughter when that happened. And also, yeah, he, he gave Billings a lot of his best zingers, like dismissing him as judicial face and Holston Jr.
1: Yeah. I did like judicial face because it's like, yeah, Billings is, so, Billings is so painfully earnest. He, is. he yeah.
0: is. he's got such a judicial face. He's yeah uh, in the D and D community, which you would call lawful. I don't well lawful good. I well we'll see. But lawful. Well, lawful.
1: I'm not sure about the good. Yeah, but neutral, I'll, maybe. Certainly lawful.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So while Juliet's interviewing Kennedy, she notices that he's glancing up at a guy on a balcony. So maybe that's one of the listeners. So he stalks off and they follow him around the corner and they coerce him into giving them a name. So what surprised me about this part was that Billings was really game to play like the whole bad cop goes along with bad cop game when it came to pretending they were going to set up camp outside his home if he didn't cough up someone. Uh, Luke, what did you think of this whole interaction? What do you think Holston would have done if he were there? I think Holston would be really proud of Juliet here.
1: And this is... This is one of the fascinating things. Like, clearly Holston saw something in Juliet that nobody else did. Because the thing is, she's actually a really, she's actually being really good at being sheriff. Like everybody, you know, Mans, Mayor Johns, Bernard, no one could make sense of why Holston picked Juliet. And on the face of it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But actually, she's really good at being sheriff. And yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised that Billings went along with it, because I think Billings knew that Juliet wasn't being serious. I I would have been interested to know what Billings would have done if Juliet had actually set up camp outside Patrick Kennedy's apartment. Right. But yeah, he's just like I just I really love this I really love this scene because Kennedy is just so done, done with the sheriff's office, done with judicial, and so desperately just wants to be left alone.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so he, he just gives them a name, um, and the name he gives them is Regina Jackson, played by Sonita Henry, and we end up visiting her a couple times this episode, where we're repeatedly served some jaw-dropping tea. First surprise, she has a cat, a Maine Coon no less, which is like one of the biggest breeds of house cat possibles. And I was a big yeah. cat! <laughs> I mean, that's how big Maine Coons are, but that's not what I expected to see in the silo. From the books, I kind of had the idea that pets were forbidden, though some people would adopt a rat or like sneak a bunny from the farm or something. But one of the cases that got forgiven in the book during like the book's version of Forgiveness Day, it was a feud between neighbors that ended with one eating the other's pet rat and then suing him for having an illegal pet.
1: <laughs> so that is a great But I don't, don't know me. if
0: it's only rats that were illegal or pets in general, but I don't know. Well, clearly judicial has no problem with cats. Yeah. Well, that being said, it makes sense to have pets for two reasons, I think. One, because it keeps people more docile and healthy and happy. And if you're trying to preserve life, uh, you need biodiversity. So that I, that's the second reason. Yeah. And as far as cat breeds go, Maine Coons are like the absolute best. They are like some pretty freaking awesome cats. They absolutely love people. So I don't know. I would vote for that breed too. Don't tell my cats here. Now, before Juliet and Paul come in, though, Regina picks up her cat and coos soon, baby, to it. Luke, what do you think that means?
1: I don't know, I just took it that she was gonna feed it soon. I didn't read any Oh, okay. Any maybe meaning maybe I was
0: that. reading something too sinister in it into it, but Well
1: maybe maybe, not. I mean at this at this point, who knows what's important and what isn't.
0: My mind was spinning, I'm like, I don't know, did she get some secret intel from like that stalker visitor at night she talks about later, or that something's gonna happen, or is she like poisoning herself with a cat or something?
1: And she seemed to get like there seemed to be a porter delivering food, like delivering a meal, just before Juliet and Billings show up. She seemed to be having like the, the silo equivalent of deliver Yeah. There's a, there's a tray with like a plate with a right. metal dome on top of it. So I thought that, that was interesting.
0: That's a normal thing, yeah. Because you remember in the first episode when uh, Alison wants to go to the market secretly to see George, but Holston's like, why don't you just get it delivered? She's like, I want the walk.
1: And also like we know pretty much instantly that regina isn't on the level cuz you walk into her apartment and like everybody's apartment in the silo is small obviously but hers is like really disheveled and not looked after it's very much a sort of single person's apartment like you don't see inside her fridge but i'm guessing if you did it would have like one moldy piece of cheese in
0: there <laughs> Why are you describing my fridge? Sorry, I'm not. I'm not throwing shade
1: on your fridgelation.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just. My cheese is fresh because okay. it gets eaten. But yeah, so then Regina drops her second bomb. George was her boyfriend. Boom, and she didn't even know that he had died. So she tells her whole story about how George used her and her large familial network to gather up relics for him, figuring that she'd look less suspicious since she had a big gift list to fill every year. And it led to her whole family getting interrogated. Uh, her mother was apparently sent to the mines. She's totally isolated from all of them. And she ended up giving up all the names of everyone she had contact with, including George. We learned later because it was told to her every name she gave up was one last day her mom would spend in the mines. So that's also why Kennedy was willing to give up her name because everyone already knows about her. And yeah, Juliet totally blamed her for getting George killed, which is probably true enough, though definitely she did what she did under deepest duress. Luke, who do you feel more sorry for in the story? Regina, George, both, neither?
1: Um, both. I mean, I'm not, I don't know whether I, because like you said, we're clearly dealing with an unreliable narrator in Regina. And I'm not sure what to make of a statement that, that George was just using her. And even if George was just using her, that doesn't necessarily invalidate his relationship with Juliet. That doesn't necessarily mean that he was just using Juliet as well. Right. I mean, I certainly wouldn't put it past George to use somebody to acquire relics, because George is clearly somebody who is deeply committed to answering these questions. Mm. These big, deep questions. They clearly fire his imagination in a way that they don't fire Juliet, so i wouldn't put i wouldn't put it past him to use somebody, but I don't take regina's story entirely at face value either right. um and it's quite possible that she was perfectly down for a bit of you know a bit of relic investigation herself,
0: and it's easy to blame. I
1: like George basically, so I'm trying to find ways of absolving him
0: yeah no i'm I'm with you, I'm with you, and also we we know how he looked at Juliet. We don't know how he looked at Regina. we haven't seen them together, so it's hard to say exactly. But yeah, while Regina's being interrogated, she cleverly points out to Billings, like he's a simpleton, how ridiculous it is to expect people to ask the police if they'll get arrested for possessing something they already possess. Uh, It's it's basically just like making a confession and sticking out your wrist for the cuffs. But Juliet's she's like real fixated this whole time on the George side of things. And uh, the guy, she apparently didn't realize, quote unquote, wasn't the kind of guy you spend forever with, like Regina said, even though he was, quote... Good with words. Yeah, and he wasn't into sanctioned relationships. Right, yeah. She paints a sinister picture. But, I mean, it also, it checks out with the way he was with Juliet. It's just Juliet interpreted it differently differently.
1: Yeah, and I thought this scene really gave Rebecca Ferguson the chance to show off her acting chops. Oh, this whole episode, yeah. But the, this scene in particular, because she does this thing with her face where you can tell she's being hurt by the kind of thing by what Regina is saying, but it's all contained. It's like she's hurt, but then she rearranges her face really quickly, right? To to so it doesn't register um so she hopes it doesn't register right with billings and and regina so it's it's all in the eyes it's all yeah
0: it's all behind the eyes yeah it's it's also why it's so key that they gave us those flashbacks because then we you know we know that that's what's going through her head like these memories of these intimate moments and you know you it just makes us feel her pain like yeah yeah Oh, I'm tearing up thinking about it, actually. <laughs> but yeah, Billings, hes he was actually really sweet about it at this particular moment. And he says in like the nicest possible way, like, don't worry about it, bro. That bitch is crazy, you know, <laughs> as they're walking out. <laughs> I also just want to shout out, like speaking of, you know, Rebecca Ferguson's acting this episode and, and also the cinematography. I just want to shout out the shot of Juliet spinning the truth sheriff badge on her desk. I just love like the perspective they use there, like the way they pan the focus and the the heart-wrenching, tear-tattered eyes that that panning reveals, it's yeah. so gorgeously done and so impactful. Yeah. But then, of course, Sims, the great interrupter, barges in again, interrupting, and he demands that everyone leave the sheriff's station but him, Juliet, Billings, and Bernard, Tim Robbins. He confronts her about planting the Pez, and Juliet plays dumb and calls the Pez dispenser ridiculous, which I appreciate. And that's when Billings realizes he's been her patsy. Now, Bernard seems to give Juliet, uh, he seems to give her a pass. He suggests that maybe Trumbull was on the team that searched George's apartment and that rather than finding nothing as reported, maybe he did find the Pez dispenser and pocketed it. But then Juliet has to admit that she hasn't found any motive yet for why Trumbull would want to murder Mars and Johns as accused. And apparently the official story being told to the silo is that the two died of twin heart attacks brought on by their journey up the silo. And Bernard requests that she stop her investigations as it could prove destabilizing if the public thought that there was any other cause of death. Uh, what do you make of this, Luke? I know you've been war- warming up to Bernard in the last couple episodes. Yeah,
1: I mean, I actually thought, because I, I actually thought from Bernard's point of view, what he says is actually quite plausible. You know, with, with the knowledge that Bernard has, but he's also clearly helping Juliet out of a hole. Um, because he can see where this conversation is going. And yeah, he's not willing to hang Juliet out to dry. And like I said, what he comes up with makes perfect sense from his point of view and what we assume that he knows and what he doesn't. But I'm not sure what Bernard's game is, but it's clearly a different game than whatever judicial is up to. Like, as best as I can figure it, Bernard wanted to ingratiate himself with judicial because he wanted to be mayor at some point. Now he is mayor. I think he's trying to use the sheriff's office, and more particularly Juliet, as kind of a counterweight to judicial. He knows how powerful judicial is. He knows that they have the, this network across the silo. He knows that that Mayor Johns, to some extent, had to like appease judicial, and that she signed off on a load of judges and deputies. So I think he's looking to Juliet as an ally. Mm. or the sheriff's office to sort of counterbalance. But I actually thought when Bernard said, you know, some mysteries are best left unsolved. I went back to something Tim Robbins was saying in the interviews we looked at in the preview shows where he's talking about, you know, Bernard as a decision maker who is, you know, acting in the best interest of the silo and maybe sometimes having to take morally questionable decisions Mm. for what he perceives as the greater good. I hadn't really seen that in Bernard until this episode. And when he did that, I thought, yeah, I understand where you're coming from now. Yeah, okay. I wanted to ask you a question, actually. Do you think people in the silo believe that two people just happened to nearly simultaneously have heart attacks?
0: Yeah. Um. I mean, I guess... Maybe they're like they're so old, but come on, they're not like that old. Like I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like I
1: get that there's got to be a cover story, but yeah, this doesn't seem like much of a cover story.
0: Well, I mean, we still know like there's unrest coming from the previews, and I have to assume that that maybe this sense that you know a lot of people are dying and they're not being told the truth about it could be one of the yeah. I mean, because we know that even. Even just when Holston went out to clean, people started, you know, getting nervous and gathering weapons. So you have to assume, you know, an an additional two deaths after that, uh, two prominent deaths. I mean, yeah, more, actually, if you count the less prominent people. But yeah, when Bernard and Sims leave, Paul, he confronts Juliet about setting him up to find the Pez. And he calls her out for being shady in general, which definitely offends his delicate sensibilities. He makes a dig about how she and George are perfect for each other since they're both liars, although he doesn't use that word and then takes it back when she calls him out on it later. But then she confronts him for being sick and hiding it. He has a syndrome, but he's been trying to clutch his hands to conceal the shaking and apparently taking ginger root, which I don't know what that does. But yeah, if people knew he wouldn't be allowed to hold this office or certainly not chief deputy and certainly not sheriff. Luke, were you shocked by this news that Mr. Follow the Law was breaking the law to protect himself?
1: No, I've w- I got to say I wasn't because I had noticed what Billings was doing in the scene earlier on where he puts his hands behind his back and holds one hand in the other. So I was wondering whether they were going to pay that off in this episode or whether they were going to wait. But yeah, no, I had already gotten to the point that he's sick and that probably means he's got the the syndrome. The Ginger Root stuff, I thought was interesting because like, like you say, does that actually do anything or is that just sort of an old wives tale in the silo? Because I imagine Ginger Root would be quite expensive and difficult to get hold of. I can't imagine it's something the silo has a lot of. So I would have thought that in itself would have drawn attention.
0: I mean, I don't know. It depends if, I mean, maybe that's quite, it just depends what they grow in the farms. Maybe that's quite a common thing because maybe the silo encourages more holistic medicines in general. They probably don't have like the advanced chemical medicines that we're used to now. Yeah, but
1: ginger is quite difficult to grow and quite expensive to grow.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. So I'm looking at the benefits here and it says it's good for, uh, it's possibly anti-inflammatory, it's contains antioxidants, um, so it's supposed to be good for wear and tear on the cells. It's supposed to be good for bloating and gas. It's, yeah, it's supposed to help ease nausea. It does do that.
1: I can tell from personal experience it yeah. does ease nausea. Yeah,
0: no, that's true. But that's not, like, really what the syndrome is. So I wonder if part of it's, like, psychosomatic in a way, too. Yeah,
1: but we're sort of led to believe that Juliet and Mrs. Billings are the only two people that know this. Right. But I can't believe Judicial didn't know this. Yeah, Which makes it all... I'm sorry to keep banging this drum, but it makes it all the more inexplicable that Judicial want I mean, maybe it doesn't, actually, because maybe, maybe this is something Judicial can hold over Billings.
0: You are agreeing with someone from the feedback section. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And also, like, clearly if Judicial are happy for this, they go ahead. They don't actually think that that the syndrome would be disabling enough to prevent Billings being an effective sheriff, which is interesting, hmm. or at least
0: looking like an effective sheriff. Or at least long enough, or maybe, yeah. I yeah. mean, they, obviously Meadows is sick at this moment, perhaps longer because she seems to have slipped from public eye a lot. Um, so maybe that's how they like them. Sick and easy hmm. to control. Yeah. So, yeah, so Billings, indeed, he goes home to his wife. Her name is Kathleen. She's played by Caitlin Zaws. uh, And she knows about it all and knows about him hiding it and helps him with his treatments. But he's worried that his daughter might develop it, but they don't know if it's even genetic. So that jives with what we were talking about last week, about what Graham Yost, the showrunner, said about this illness, is that it's not clear if it's genetic or if it's psychosomatic or what it is.
1: And it is clear, though, that it's something people in the silo fear. And it's something people in the silo are taught to fear, and you know, like from a from a historical point of view, there's nothing more dangerous than a disease people don't understand and a disease that people are afraid of. Right. So I kind of wonder whether there is like the silo equivalent of a leper colony mm,
0: for the syndrome for people, people. With the syndrome. Mm, yeah. I mean, so you, you don't blame then Billings for not coming forward with it like he's supposed to. I wouldn't if I was in Billings shoes. Yeah. you know, I, I can imagine I wouldn't either. Yeah. Especially if it comes with a long list of things you're not allowed to do anymore. Yeah. yeah. Silo life is so limited as it is. And there's a really nice line Billings says to
1: his wife while she's putting on this like ginger compress. I'm so glad for you and our daughter. I can't remember the daughter's name. Claire or something. But life would be awful alone.
0: Yeah. But at the same time, uh, we get a much more pleasant interaction. My boy Lucas is back. He and Juliet meet again in the cafeteria, which is almost exactly like a certain scene in the book uh, where it's, it's overcast and he knows he's not going to see any stars. But I have to say in this case, I actually like the book's version even better. This is a slightly longer reading, but very sweet. So tuck in. <laughs> um, I live in the upper mids, Lucas says. I only come up when the viewing's good. He switched the light back on and turned it toward her in a way that suggested the stars weren't the most important thing on his mind anymore. There's a guy in my hall who works up here on dinner shift. When he gets home, he lets me know what the clouds were like during the day. If he gives me the thumbs up, I come take my chances. And so you're making a schematic of them? Juliet gestures toward the large sheet of paper, which, yeah, again, he has a chalkboard in the show. Uh, trying to, he says. It'll probably take a few lifetimes. He tucks uh, charcoal behind his ear. Pulled a rag from his coveralls and wiped his fingers clean of the black residue. And then what, Juliet asked. Well, hopefully I'll infect some shadow with my sickness and they'll pick up wherever I leave off. And then, yeah, and uh, another scene slightly later, Lucas turned almost imperceptibly in his seat. I have a confession, since you're the law and all. Juliet's hand groped for the star in her chest. She was often in danger of forgetting she was. Yeah? I knew the clouds were going to be bad tonight, but I came up anyway. Juliet trusted the darkness to conceal her smile. She was desperate for contact and this stranger was the only person she knew little enough to want it from. She turned back to the wall screen and they both enjoyed the silence that formed. It was strange sitting with this man. She felt younger and somehow more secure in his presence, less lonely at least. She pegged him as a loner as well, an odd-sized washer that didn't fit any standard bolt and here he had been at the extreme other end of the silo searching for stars while she'd been spending what spare time she could down in the mines as far away as possible hunting for pretty rocks. It's not going to be a very productive night for either of us, looks like, she eventually said, ending the silence, rubbing the unopened folder in her lap. Oh, I don't know, Lucas told her. That depends on what you came up here for. Juliet smiled. Luke, does that seem feel the same to you? Do you think uh Lucas has upped his game at all in either the book or the show?
1: I do like the fact that the writers are with me and that they concur that Lucas does not know how to flirt.
0: Yeah. At all. And I do like the fact
1: that like Juliet just finds his like earnestness funny.
0: Yeah. Endearing is the word I would use.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you get pretty short odds on Juliet and Lucas falling into bed at some point <laughs> in the series. I think that that's going to happen.
0: Well, I love that we see we see that um, Lucas is a, is a dreamer like George. So we see like that's that's her type in a way. But we also see the contrast between them too. Because Juliet, she teases Lucas about never having had a girlfriend, rather than having like secret girlfriends he's running from, having do dirty work for him, and he responds with some corny innocence, but enough wit to show that he has a sharp mind. So I can see where feeling betrayed by George she would be drawn to someone who approaches her openly and earnestly and someone who doesn't seem to have a complicated romantic history.
1: I wonder if George and Lucas met at some point.
0: Um, I mean, it's uh, yeah, certainly it's possible. Only 10,000 people and uh, they're both interested. Uh, they're both. Yeah, That that's what I'm thinking. They're they
1: both, they're both, they're both unconventional thinkers. They both have big questions about the silo. Right. Like, I don't know whether there's like a a silo version of a chat room, but if there is, I'm sure George and Lucas were members of the same chat rooms. So, yeah, I'd be... I don't know, I've no evidence to suggest this, but I just think it would be a nice touch that if Lucas and George had met at some point, and if Lucas was already aware of that relationship, I just think that'd be a nice touch.
0: Yeah, I can say in the books they hadn't met, but... um... Yeah, it's quite possible here. They're certainly making lots of new connections between the characters. I don't think, though, that he was involved in like the relics hunting stuff, though. No, probably not. I mean, I think he's curious, but not like going down that dark route. He's just more like, let's look at the stars and see what's going on with these moving lights in the sky. Yeah yeah but anyway, this interaction it seems to cheer Juliet up a little, but she's still on the radio just after that, moaning to Martha about how she's gonna quit it all because she feels so betrayed by George uh, to which Martha gives her the ultimate buck up little pup pep talk now, Luke, Martha is a spy, is that theory completely off the table now, or there's still lingering doubts?
1: I think there're still lingering doubts. Okay. Because maybe this is just Martha being parental, and I hope it is, because I really hope she isn't a spy. But it is interesting that whenever, I mean, in this case, Juliet calls Walker, so I'm not sure it works. But it is interesting, whenever Juliet needs bucking up, whenever Juliet needs some new information, Walker is always there, suspiciously well-timed. Now, like I said, that, that doesn't work in this instance, because it's Juliet that's calling Martha not the other way around. I have to say, in an episode chock a block with really good lines and really good writing, I have to say that the little soliloquy that Walker delivers is probably my favourite part of the episode. I and I thought that was that was really powerful and you got a you got a much better sense of the loneliness of Martha and the regret. And I think a little bit of self-loathing as well because oh, sure. she wants to step out of that workshop, mm. but she can't.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Two things about this interaction. One is that every time they talk on the radio, I cringe and wonder who else is listening. But of course, like what else are they going to do? Walk? Take the elevator? <laughs> yeah. Um, but the yeah the other thing, the other moment from the scene people are talking about a lot is, did you notice at one point, like, so after Martha stops talking to Juliet? Uh, Turns off the radio and then she goes and looks at a drawing of a younger her, presumably with Carla. Yeah,
1: I did notice that. And like, clearly Carla was on her mind at that moment.
0: Yeah. But did you think some people are saying that the picture that we see, that it looks like, you know, it's a young Martha and it looks like maybe a young Judge Meadows. Do you think that the judge's full name is Carla Meadows? They haven't given her first name in the credits yet. Oh, that hadn't even occurred to me. I mean, if you look at it, I don't know. It's a painting, so it's vague enough and, you know, they're younger, but could be.
1: I mean, that that would be a twist. That would be a really nice twist. I really hope it is now because that that yeah. would be very,
0: very cool. I'm kind of with you on that. Yeah, I'd like to see that pay off for sure. But yeah, despite Martha's or actually maybe because of Martha's pep talk, Juliet can't let go the mystery of George. So she goes to visit Regina again and um, she gets her emotional with like the accusations about her causing George's death. And then she gets some more, even bigger info bombs. So first of all, Regina talks about a man who knows everything, who comes at night and threatens the people she loves unless she gives him answers. Someone who knows everything she does all day, every day. Not like judicial, she says, who comes during the day. Luke, any ideas who this man could be?
1: The only person it could be that we've met so far, I think, is Sims and the janitor's. But it's quite possible this could be a character we haven't met yet. No. Um, but yeah, the uh, of the characters we've met, I can't see how it could be anybody
0: else but Sims. Yeah, some people online have been pointing out that the janitors come out to clean at night, indeed. But I don't think it could be Sims, at least, because I think he's like high enough profile that she would recognize him. That's Yes,
1: that's, that's very true, actually.
0: Part of me wonders if it could have anything to do with those watchers we see in the final scene, like... Could they even be doing like a holographic projection or something into her bedroom? I thought it was notable that she's not allowed to move. They're like, don't move, just talk. So I don't know. That's, that's my crazy off-the-wall theory. Again, not from the books, but hey, we're going so far off book here. Okay. <laughs>
1: I like it when this happens. I like it when we're on a level playing field. Oh,
0: yeah. And don't you think, by the way, that Regina's behavior in this scene is reminding you of Gloria? Like, I'd have to wonder... Because we find out that Gloria is possibly or probably George's aunt. Yeah, so I have to wonder if that's who she learned this behavior from, like turning on something loud so people can't listen.
1: Yeah, like Reg- Regina is being seriously squirrely.
0: Yeah, um, and yeah, I did make that link. I've also
1: you've also got a. This goes back to Regina being an unreliable narrator because it's sort of clear that she's not really looking after herself. And I did kind of wonder whether at least some of this might be you know might be some form of hallucination on her part as well, or some form of like I'm not saying all of it's made up,
0: but no, but I thought maybe the man who comes at night like they painted it they painted her in such a way that you're like, "Ah could she be yeah, you know? yeah, but I don't she is giving names, so yeah. Because, like,
1: I just, I, I can't sort of get over the fact that, that even, like, you compare her apartment with Mans' apartment, and yeah, they're both small and they're both basic, but Regina's is a complete mess, and, <laughs> like, she is a bit of clearly a sort of not looking after herself particularly well.
0: Yeah, but, She's not like... looking
1: after that cat particularly well. Aw,
0: well, the even. cat was big and fed well, so... Yeah. But, um... I don't know, like you have to feel sorry for her. We just think about the amount of psychological torture she's been through with these visits at night and her entire family being interrogated and her mom sent to the mines like that's enough to unhinge anyone, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So but then she drops the second biggest bomb of the entire episode. She gives Juliet a book. Uh, In their previous meeting, Regina, she was kind of like almost cruel to Juliet. She could tell Juliet thought she'd had something real with George. And I still think she did. But, um, you know, Regina was being really mean about it. And on the second visit, she seems like much more broken. And ultimately, Juliet's about to just leave the apartment. And um, Regina catches her and kind of like pulls her into an embrace and then tells her that George gave her this special gift. So Juliet got a watch. Uh, a broken watch at that and um regina she got something passed down from george's mom via his aunt luke why do you think that george gave regina the better gift and didn't tell juliet about it
1: i'm not sure he gave her the better gift no i think the i think the watch is something that juliet would appreciate much more that's fair i think i think actually George is actually quite a good juju character. He gave gifts to Regina and Juliet that, that reflected their personalities and their interests. Mm. So I I think one thing one thing you can say about George and maybe this explains his success with the opposite sex, is he does know how to listen. That's true. So I wouldn't say that Regina got the better gift. I think they got they both got gifts that were that were sort of well suited to them.
0: Yeah, I was thinking similar. I, I I like to think that he gave, you know, Juliet the watch and not the book because he knew the watch was safer and more practical, like Juliet, and it might be more evidence of him trying not to put her at risk. Maybe. Which makes me wonder, did Regina give Juliet the book as bait? Did she want her to get caught with it?
1: Uh, but I mean, also, like, Regina had held on to this book right. for this length of time, right? like, maybe she thought Juliet was a safe way of getting rid of the book without okay. without judicial catching on, because if judicial had caught on, you know, she would be sent out to clean quicker than you can blink. This would not be, this would literally be an open and shut case. Right. Um, so I think Regina probably wanted to get rid of the book And Juliet seemed to be the only person she could give it to without being instantly sent out to clean.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, so anyway, Juliet, she takes the book back home and opens it, and it's a kid's travel guide for Georgia, the U.S. state, not the European country. Luke, what did you think when you saw this?
1: I was, and I imagine you were as well, pretty blown away by this. Because this tells us a couple of things. It tells us, first and foremost that stuff from the before times has survived and has entered the silo. We thought that might have happened before, but we now know indisputably that it has happened. We know that this can't be that far in the future from like the present day, because a book made out of paper still survives. And like the the photos are still relatively bright, relatively intact. It's not like you've got a half a tree here, half a tree there kind of thing.
0: But we know it survived for at least 140 years longer because of the rebellion was 140 years ago. Yeah.
1: And it kind of suggests that the silo is on Earth, which is going to be important, given what we're about to
0: find out. Right. Why do you say it suggests, it kind of suggests the silo is on Earth?
1: Well, I guess it doesn't really, but just that if the, if the silo isn't on earth, then the artifact traveled with the people in the silo. So mm. at least the people in the silo came from earth right. originally, sure. and should, should probably be the way to put that. Mm. And like the look of wonder and confusion on Juliet's face as well. Like, yeah, she really did sell like looking at trees. Right looking at a dolphin, looking at, like, tracing a trilobite with her finger. Yeah,
0: I mean, yeah, it's, it's of course, it's one thing to, like, you know, of course, everyone in the silo knows that it used to be green outside, there used to be life outside, but except for the cleaners, no one's actually seen pictures of it. So, like, the forests, the rivers, people whitewater rafting, dolphins, beaches, this is, like, totally blowing Juliet's mind. Yeah. And uh, in the spirit of the travel guide, here are a few fun facts for anyone looking to plan a trip of their own to the state of Georgia. So, yeah, Georgia has some good fossils as you mentioned, including the spiral shells known as ammonites which Juliet sees in the book and which she can also see you can also see this in the opening credit to the series. The Georgia state fruit is the peach. Georgia is a state in the US South where people enjoy southern delicacies such as hush puppies. Georgia features some prominent hot springs, such as the famous Warm Springs just outside Atlanta, made famous by ex-president Franklin D. Roosevelt. And Georgia has a rich geology with a mix of sands, clays, iron oxide, and gemstones and more. Just some fun facts from the travel book. We'll see if any of them become relevant. Yeah. Now, following Regina's instructions, uh, Juliet she says nothing from the book or about the book out loud, but what she doesn't realize is she is being watched through her mirror. Luke, do you think this is what the double of the flowers note was about, to block the mirror? You have to assume that's what it
1: was about. The more interesting question is... How did Holston find out? Yeah. If that is what the double the flowers is about, how did Holston find out? A good out? question. Because as
0: far as we know, not even judicial knows about this. Yeah. And, and I noticed actually that the flowers, uh, they weren't in the vase. Like when you see through the mirror from the perspective of the watchers, the flowers have been taken out of the vase and laid on their side. So someone must have gone into Juliet's apartment and done that while she wasn't there. And she just didn't notice. Oh. Yeah. Um, now, so this takes us, we sweep through the screen and we end up in a room with two guys, uh, one in like a crisp blue coveralls and one in, you know, more like the usual silo wear with a knit vest and stuff, but they're watching, you know, a bank of monitors, which looks like something we'd see in a lot of security stations, but is way more advanced technology than we've seen anywhere in the show so far. What do you think this room is, Luke? I have no idea,
1: but I have a, I have a number of questions. The first is: Is this inside the silo? Okay, good question. So, is this part of the silo, or are they? Is this room in a completely different location that's looking inside the silo? Second is: Is this the janitors? Because mm-hmm. they say they talk about um, you need to wake him up, right? And the other the other guy, there goes. But it's the middle of the night. I know, but he would want to see this. Is the he they're referring to sims mm mm-hmm. or or is it somebody we haven't met yet, or i don't
0: know yeah
1: i don't know who i don't know okay. I, it i don't i don't see how it could be Bernard I don't see how it could be how it could be judge Meadows. why not why couldn't it be other of them i well i just maybe it could you maybe, maybe this is i t but yeah I I just I just don't see Bernard being able to live with a secret of this magnitude. No? I think Sims could.
0: Yeah, you but do you think Bernard is like honest? Do you think he's forthcoming? No, I don't think he's honest. I don't think he's forthcoming.
1: But I'm not sure he's got the I'm not sure he's got the courage. Okay. To be honest, okay. to hold on to something like this. Okay. Um Maybe the head of judicial would know about it, but just from a narrative point of view, it would seem unsatisfying for a character we know little about at this point to be. We would need to know much more about Meadows for it to be satisfying from a story point of view. And I, I'm not sure it Sims either, because my first instinct is that this is not the silo. My first instinct okay. is no one in the silo knows what this is. Okay, I think this is a separate location. And I think it goes back to what I was talking about in the the preview episode. I think this is some kind of Stanford County jail experiment on a massive scale,
0: okay, and so if that's if that's the case, you think they're faking like the devastation outside?
1: Yeah, I think they are okay. when you say one of them is dressed in the overalls of the silo, I wonder whether if that's the case, are they? Are they literally like inserting researchers into the silo as you know members of the
0: population? Yeah, you think how would they do that physically? I, I, can't, I don't, don't know. know. Of course, how would I you don't do? know? Yeah, fair, 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 fair. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So here's my argument why I don't think it's janitorial, Personally, uh, it's true. We haven't seen what's inside there yet, though. I I think I still have an idea of what I think it is. And I don't think this is what I think it is based on book stuff. But what we do see in the show is Sims using computers to research stuff. And they're nowhere near as advanced as what we're seeing in this room. And also, unlike the man who knows everything, Sims doesn't seem to. He has to do some serious computer and book research just to figure out that Jules is lying to him rather than just like, you know, he's not getting reports off of a screen that's watching him always.
1: Yeah, that's why I don't think it's Sims. Because if Sims knew all of this, he wouldn't need to look at what the Pez dispenser was. Right. He would have known about George Wilkins far before he actually did.
0: He would have literally seen Juliette break into the apartment to place the Pez dispenser. I mean, there's probably no cameras in the digger room, but they would have at least seen that much. Yeah yeah i I don't know i i'm inclined to think it's linked to the man who knows everything because how does the man know everything except unless he has like a bay of you know cameras
1: yeah but that means that they can get in and out of the silo somehow maybe it's a holographic projection yes that's but even so even if that's the case they are able to project themselves yeah
0: into the silo i mean they definitely at least have a tech link you know they at least have like a network cable plugged in yeah
1: and do we think they're watching everybody in the silo all 10,000 people
0: i mean they probably i would imagine that they concentrate on you know interesting characters like i doubt they paid any attention to regina until she became interesting Juliet only became interesting when she became sheriff. Mm. But okay. So I'll tell you most book readers I've talked to, not all, but most, including me, we immediately thought of a a certain room that plays a more prominent role in the second book shift. And it's a room that we thought would pop up in the finale. So, but like I said, Hugh Howey's going around telling everyone that we shouldn't assume like all the people who are commenting this, he's commenting back like, Oh, don't assume it's what you think it is. So I can't tell if he's just messing with us or if like, we should really let it go that it's not the room that it looks like exactly described in the book. So I, yeah, so it's, it's kind of blowing all of our minds just the same way as other people. Like, is it the thing that we think it is? Is it something completely different? What do you mean by waking up? Like, why is it important that it's the middle of the night? Cause the man who knows everything apparently operates in the middle of the night. So yeah, it's a, a lot of questions being left. Um, but honestly, yeah, I don't know. They're changing so much that this could be something else altogether. Either way, I think all of us, everyone, book fans, show fans, we're all screaming at the screen at this point.
1: When I watched that for the first time, it's like, there are so many different directions this can go in now. I mean, they've really left themselves so many, so many potential plot lines and so many different ways to go forward. And I have no idea which, which of those many roads they're going to go down. But it kind of feels like anything is possible at this point. Yeah. Like we talked in the previews, like there's a bit of a joke about maybe, maybe it was aliens. Well, maybe it is aliens. Maybe it is aliens.
0: I mean, I can tell It seriously you, could be. There are a point. lot of people who are holding on to that uh, theory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And speaking of theories and questions, uh, we have a whole bunch of those uh, questions and theories for your consideration coming up right after this commercial break. All right, we're back. Let's dive into the feedback channel. Now, this first one that I'm going to read out, it's actually wasn't feedback submitted to us. It's just something that I found on Reddit, but I thought it was really interesting. So I wanted to bring it up. Uh, So it's from Abu Ben Adhem. uh, And he says, regarding the screen flicker in the cafeteria, if no one had ever seen pictures of trees or grass, would they even know what they were looking at? Or would they just assume it was a weird technical glitch, like the sensor's infrared feed got swapped with the green channel or something? So this is about why people haven't responded to that flicker in the cafeteria.
1: I hadn't considered that, but yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Like, if you didn't, if you didn't know that grass was supposed to be green... Right. Or if you didn't... Yeah, like, you could, I suppose, think of it as just, like, a technical glitch. And, like, clearly, you know, clearly the mayor's office is quite good at putting out a story, putting out a narrative when it wants to, because they're doing that very deliberately with Mans and Mayor John's. And also, like, yeah, if judicial decided that that was going to be the line to put out, one of the uses of the whisperers, as well as collecting intelligence, I guess one of the uses they have for them is to start rumours, is to pump out a narrative into, into the population. So, yeah... That would work actually as an explanation. That That's a really, I hadn't considered that at all, but it's a really good explanation for why people don't seem to be up in arms about this.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe we'll still see some reaction, but that at least puts my mind a little at rest. Uh, that's my new headcanon. But okay, digging into our own feedback bag, we have our first piece of feedback is from Stuart Boyles, uh, who, yeah, we got in touch on Facebook, but he says, my Twitter handle is at le but I haven't been on there since Elon, fine, fair. But he says, the overall story works really well, because the idea that someone else is controlling our existence, that's the terrifying part of the story, it will work in the show because that idea is in our zeitgeist. The more layers they add, the more misdirects they give will only lead to the mystery, but it will need to be someone who has been there the whole time. It really was Agatha all along. Yost has a keen grasp of this series and the DNA of it. Um, I had some thoughts about the Pez Dispenser. Well, it may be nothing, it is colorful and artificial, and that will scare the bejesus out of Sims and Bernard. That will scare the bejesus out of the powers that be. If the message is to keep everyone calm and sedate and only look at things provided by the silo, then something that is unnatural, being colorful, will start people dreaming. And that is beyond dangerous.
1: Luke? I've just got the line from The Simpsons. Um, Willie, the children are overstimulated. Remove the colored chalk. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, yeah, that makes absolute sense. And I did sort of, maybe this is hope over experience. But I really did get the sense, particularly with how the episode ended, that Graham Yost and the other writers and Hugh Howie do know even if we don't know where this is going. Oh absolutely. I have a feeling they have they do have a really good handle on the material even if we don't.
0: Yeah, they have it all plotted out for sure. Yeah. Okay, so next up we have Stu at Doove seventy one. He says, love having a show like Silo around that lends itself to all sorts of weird and wonderful theories. I've been fixating on the tech of the Silo, and my latest thoughts are that it seems very non-microprocessor based. Obviously, IT and the computers uh, inhabitants use have processors, but mechanical, for example, is to me a signifier that a decision of the founders was to use technology that is fairly basic. It also makes me think of Battlestar Galactica. And only using hardwired independent systems, non-networked. Has there been a catastrophe linked to AI in this universe? What do you think, Luke? Maybe. Um,
1: but I I think the computers are networked because there does seem to be a way you can send basic email across yeah, this that's across the
0: system to so they Although we see them repeatedly, like with Alison in the first episode, when she called out sick, she, you know, just sent a porter.
1: Yeah, but they did get the email about being allowed to conceive a baby.
0: Yeah, so. and tr- and in the books, you can send things uh, by computer message, but it's just more expensive than sending it by porter.
1: Yeah, so I I think I'm not discounting any theory right. at this point, but no, I don't. I think the computers are networked, so so that that's not my leading theory at this point. But I okay. wouldn't be. I'm ruling nothing in or out at this point. Yeah, fair.
0: All right, so, okay, we have two tunnel theories, two theories about, again, remember that uh, on the hard drive, uh, there was the blueprints, and on the blueprints, George saw that there was a tunnel, and that's kind of what drove him down, uh, and that's what he was looking for, the door to this tunnel uh, when he died. And so we have two theories from two different people related to this, so I'm going to read them back to back, and then we can discuss. So first we have from my friend Junaid Badar, at Junaid Badar20 on Twitter, Um, he says, There was a tunnel that George saw in the blueprints of the silo. I believe it leads to other silos. I think there's a secret passage below the water, so Juliet will have to overcome her fear to find the answers. And then Geeks in Review at the Geeks Reviews says, what if the tunnel isn't a way out, but the way they got in? It occurred to me the door out wasn't that big when Holston left, so I can't imagine getting thousands of people in that way or 10,000 people out. Luke, what do you think about these two tunnel theories? Do you think there are other silos or that this was the original way in?
1: Well, the first one is really interesting because what if the people with those screens are in silo number two? And what if they are using a tunnel to pass people from silo two into silo one and maybe vice versa? Um, As for the second one, I have a hard time thinking that that tunnel would be like main access, either in or out, because like the correspondent was saying, I think it's too narrow to get 10,000 people in mm-hmm. or 10,000 people out. So I'd be skeptical of that.
0: Okay. Yeah. So you think that it has the same problem? Because he's saying that um, it's the door at the top too narrow, but you're saying, yeah, the tunnels would be just as bad, but a mile Deep. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I liked also Junaid's uh, where he talks about the, he thinks there's a secret passage below the water, so Juliet has to overcome her fear of water to find the answers. I think that would be a good character development point that, you know, connects to a, a scene that is in the books. But I don't know. I don't know about, like, having a secret tunnel in or out. Yeah, I, it could be, could be, could be. I don't know.
1: Well, I, I am very interested in finding out where the water came from. Like, why is there water? Now? I mean, if
0: you're if you're underground, if you go deep enough, it's basically all water. This is what I've learned from my geology friends.
1: Yeah, but but this seems to be fresh water that you can drink. That seems to be pumped into the.
0: I don't. I mean, I think you're overthinking this. I think uh, just groundwater would look like that. Okay.
1: Well, I mean, it's kind of the point of these shows is to
0: overthink. Yeah, it, yeah, so... fair, fair. But yeah, yeah. But uh, I'm I'm going with yeah. Occam's razor here. Like they're underground waters come up that's a normal thing that i would expect to happen
1: yeah that's fair
0: just as someone i i love i love exploring caves and that's like a big thing there there's always water that's fair um so okay next we have from be like bizarre on reddit um they say would like to hear speculation on the mines is it like a prison of sorts so first just here's what we know from the books we know that they're mining ore um, there was that quote about Julia and Lucas that I read earlier uh, that talks about her just like going there freely rock hunting. Um, so that's obviously you can just freely wander in and out. Um, and also in the books, there do seem to be some people who choose to work there, like one character who pops up later who just wants to be in the dark so that people don't look at him differently. Now, we don't learn much about how they're used as punishment in the books. We're actually getting more of that in the show but they are an important setting at one point, but probably not this season. So Luke, what do you, what's your mind speculation?
1: Yeah, I mean, they clearly are used as a kind of penal colony within the, the society of the silo. Uh, if people go there sort of freely of their own free will, I imagine that the way you incentivize people to do that is that they're quite well paid in either in terms of credits or in terms of
0: like better access to housing or or... Um, Consumer goods. I mean, but we we get told a lot that people are sent there as punishment.
1: Yeah, like clearly there is that element to it. I'd be interested to know what exactly they're mining.
0: Me too. I can tell you what they're mining in the books, but um, I mean, it's just yeah, they talk about like uh iron ore and things like that. But I don't know if that's because they've changed some things. You know, like they changed it from oil powering the generator to steam powering the generator. So I don't know. I hope that we find that out yeah all right next up our friends silo tv fans at silo 17 squad and uh, they say hit me with your theories about what judge meadows is drinking and why please because the only relevant thing my brain can come up with is shift related and thus very unlikely so shift being the second book again uh luke you said i you, just took it as yeah you took it as lemonade i just took it as like lemon tea yeah okay yeah, so I kind of am with Silo TV fans that it could be this mysterious thing that they're referring to from Shift. Uh, it could be a very good, very tragic explanation. But yeah, I also, like I said earlier, like a, a slow acting poison is kind of the first thing that jumped into my head.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't put it past sentence.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, her Royal Bubbliness at JDite underscore on Twitter says, I have so many thoughts First thought that came to mind was never in a million years did I think a harmless magazine could hold so much power and have me widening my eyes. But here I am in silo and uh, do I love it. Uh, now, this is the energy I'm going to need consistently going forward in the show. Luke, do you agree? Have they because you you were kind of off after last week. Are, are you back on?
1: Yeah, and actually, I really like the sort of forward momentum of this episode. Like we find out a lot right. in this episode. And yet, at no point does it feel like an exposition dump. Yeah, um, it still keeps the characters first, uh, you know, front and center. And I think the the final reveal of that big room of screens is really well done because they don't just leave it hanging that everybody's being watched. There is just that tiny bit of dialogue between the two techs. That is really important because it shows you somebody is actually watching these screens. Right. It shows you that they look human. Right. And it shows you that they're not in charge. Right. So I think Silo is really good at this about packing a lot of information into the minimum amount of lines needed to deliver it. Um, It's very economically written.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so next up, we have uh, Abby at S-Z-E-G-F-U underscore on Twitter. And she says, strongly flashbacking to the way we had to be careful with what we say with whom. Having the secret police, a silent looming threat, a constant in mind at all times. That's judicial. And look at all the monitors and informants, the most innocent looking stuff being deemed dangerous. Oh, and Billings. I think the judicial definitely knows he's sick and they want him as their man precisely because they think they can control him more easily with that knowledge. Interesting to see the character responding to the challenge. Please, not another Holston. I don't know how Holston would have reacted if he found out about the surveillance, would do something drastic to save his family. I think Sims might know about it, but who is it the Watchers call for? Sims? Bernard? Someone else not yet seen? It's just crazy theories.
1: Luke? Oh, I think Holston did know about it.
0: Maybe, maybe double the flowers. Yeah. In fact, I'd be fairly confident that he did know about it. How would he have found out? I wonder.
1: Yeah that that's the sixty four thousand dollar question. Yeah. How did he find out? Because I'd also be fairly confident that he was the only one that knew. Maybe Sims, but I'm I think he's the only one that found out.
0: I mean, I think if Holston found anything out uh, about this room where they're monitoring people um then i would have to assume it had something to do with a hard drive but i don't know yeah
1: maybe Holston didn't find out about the room maybe he just found out that people were being watched and made the leap that it was judicial doing it somehow
0: yeah or maybe it could be like the thing i said when uh i don't know we two-way mirror one-way mirror anyway the thing where a mirror uh, it's a window one way mm-hmm. and a mirror the other way, like a police interrogation room. Yeah. Uh, like I was saying that you can do the test if you put something up against the mirror. Um, if it's a proper mirror, then there's some depth separating your fingernail or whatever from the reflection of it. If it's one of these mirrors that's actually a window one way, then you see like the tips of your fingertips touching each other.
1: Yeah. So it's like, I think Halston, Halston probably figured out the what... But I'm not sure he figured out the why or the how.
0: Hm. Yeah. I mean, I'm guessing I'm, I'm thinking that we must not have seen we saw some significant stuff on that hard drive that George and Allison were looking at, but I'm thinking we might not have seen everything, probably didn't. That's true. All right, next we have Mir I M. at Vader Girl with three R's. She says, "George's tattoos, do they have any significance? Um, Yeah, so I took a second look while I watched this uh, again, and the only tattoo I noticed of George was the shell tattoo, which indeed seems to have been taken from the book. So this book that's been passed down, presumably, yeah, he drew that shell and got someone to tattoo on him. Um, And I think the other tattoos we see are not actually his, they're just Juliet's, but they're cuddling, so they kind of blend together. Okay. About Billings, um, Carol Lane at Kettle01 on Twitter says, It was really good, the episode. Really curious what's going to happen next. I'm most wondering who Juliet can trust, especially if she can trust Billings. I know Sims is bad. I think Billings can trust Juliet. Billings, though, seems like a good guy, but definitely follows protocol. What do you think, Luke? Can Juliet and or Billings trust each other? I'm going to say
1: yes, because you say Billings follows protocol. And yet, he has the syndrome and hasn't told anybody about it. Right. Yeah, so if he was just strictly Mr. By-the-Pact judicial, he would have said, he would have seen it as his duty to say. But I mean, actually, I'm really liking Billings, because Billings is a much more complicated character than we were led to think he was going to be.
0: I think he's more complicated than in the books, yeah.
1: And I think ultimately... He and Juliet can trust each other because in the end, I think they both have a commitment to finding out what's going on. I think if Billings had just wanted to be by the pact, like last week, he could have gone to judicial, told Sims what he knew and just left it at that. And as far as Juliet knows, he's gone home for lunch, but he didn't. He told Juliet exactly where he'd been. Right. Now, the one issue that might be a problem is Juliet at this point essentially has nothing to lose. Like, she's not close to her father. All she's got, all the only person she's close to in the world that's still alive is Walker.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and some other mechanical people. Yeah, yeah. and
1: some other people in mechanical. And like, I think if judicial threatened anybody in mechanical... You know, Mechanical would take care of shit. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas Billings actually does have something to lose. Billings has a family.
0: Yeah.
1: And that might be an issue. Like, if Sims or Judicial have the ability to...
0: If he has to choose. Yeah. yeah. If he has to choose between Juliet and his family, you mean?
1: Or if Judicial have the ability to, like, leverage his family in some way. Mm. Yeah. Then I think... Yeah. Then I think Juliet isn't going to win that that contest
0: yeah okay all right um next up we have a white paper bag from reddit and they say really interested in what they're doing with paul and the syndrome storyline i wonder how that's going to play into the build-up of events and paul's character also we keep getting only brief scenes with lucas we need more i agree i'm wondering if they're gonna stick to the same story route for him as the books as well at this point in the series Yeah, I'm wondering if for Billings, if this syndrome will give his actions later more urgency, personally, Alicia speaking. I've definitely, it's been interesting to see him genuinely bond with Juliet. I've really enjoyed that. And I think that, yeah, however this plays out with the syndrome and anything else that happens, it's going to make it hit even harder. And yeah, definitely more Lucas. It seems like they're stretching out the first part of the book, Wool, and world building more and adding bits from later to tease us. But I'm expecting. I think Lucas's story is going to play out pretty much the same way and I'm looking forward to seeing more of it. Uh, Maybe next week? I don't know. Okay. (laughs) Luke, what do you think?
1: Well, I think it's pretty much inevitable that at some point, Juliet and Lucas will fall into bed with each other. I do wonder whether Lucas and George may have met at some point prior to the story starting. After all, these are both... People that have uh, pretty profound questions about the silo and where the silo came from and what its purpose is. So I wonder whether there's some way for people with those um, questions to
0: congregate
1: and swap theories rather like we're doing on this podcast.
0: They haven't told us yet what he's up to when he's not looking at stars. Okay, so Matt McDougall at DougSatX on Twitter says, I loved the book. I loved the surveillance. I'm curious where the expansion of Sims is going, especially with the mellower Bernard. Are they in cahoots or are there different pockets of secret intel? What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think this is a really interesting question. I wonder whether the janitors are part of judicial or whether they're a completely separate organization from judicial kind of analogous to Section 31 in Star Trek. Okay. I also wonder how many of the janitors there are, because we know that Sims was inducted into the janitors. Right. By his father. So I wonder, again, to quote from another um, sci-fi source, whether it's kind of like the Sith, whether the janitors have some version of the rule of two. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to find out I don't think Bernard and Sims are on the same wavelength at the moment. I think Bernard was using an alliance with Judicial to try and leverage more power. I think he was using an alliance with Judicial to become mayor. Now that he is mayor, I think he's looking for a counterweight to Judicial, and I think he may have found that or he thinks he found that in Juliet and the sheriff's office. Whether that's actually uh, accurate, I suppose, remains to be seen.
0: I mean, yeah, from a storytelling perspective, I guess it's most interesting if they're at odds. But I guess those two things don't have to be mutually exclusive. They can be working together and still be at odds. Okay, so uh Sonic Clang at Sonic Clang on Twitter says, Your episode five recap sounded really good. I can tell you have a new mic. Nice and clear. Thank you. (laughs) So Sonic Clang and I have been communicating about my audio mixing journey. I'm new to that side of things, teaching myself as I go. And Luke and I we've been upgrading equipment and software as we can, and joining the Lorehounds Network has definitely helped us out a bit with the latter, but it, it really is a journey and like more work than most people realize. So I appreciate you noticing the improvements, Sonic Clang. We're working on it one step at a time. And this is the point, which I will pause to say that you, as in you listening at home or work or on the way, you can help us on this journey. Help us keep doing this and keep investing in better sound just by bestowing the three greatest gifts you can give to podcasters you like without spending a penny, which are subscribing, giving five-star ratings, and telling your friends. This helps us get more ears on our airways, which helps us land advertisers to help support all the costs of upgrading. So, hashtag promotional time over. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Back to the feedback. Um, now, from Reddit, we have AZ Curly Girl, and she says So now we know that George was aware of the world outside the silo from his mother and that he was a confidential informant or friend of the silo for judicial. Since he gave the Georgia tourism book to Regina instead of Juliet, he must have been using Juliet for something, something in mechanical. What could it be? And was it for himself or for judicial? Um, So I just want to point out that it wasn't George who was the informant. It was his ex who was the informant. But they did definitely cast some serious doubt on George's character this week. As far as using Juliet, she mentioned that she went to steal the crappy tape from supply on her own, Maybe he was hoping that she would steal things for him in the future, but he seems to have never asked her to do that. And he gave her the watch, something less dangerous. So I don't know. It seems like George was a complicated dude, but I don't think we should completely trust the word of a jealous ex who's obviously been through psychological torture as a result of a relationship with him. I still think the look in his eyes said that he loved Juliet in some way. I just think someone like Lucas or Shirley can perhaps love her better. What do you think, Luke?
1: Yeah, I agree. I think just because George betrayed one romantic partner, it doesn't necessarily follow that he would betray another one. I think if he was simply using Juliet, then he is probably a top-grade psychopath (laughs) because the scenes we see in flashback earlier on in the episode, George comes across extremely convincingly in those scenes as someone who is in love with Juliet who cares about her deeply. So if he was simply using her, then, yeah, yeah, he's a grade-A psychopath. And yeah, I just hope for the sake of the story that Juliet and George's relationship was real because those two actors and the writers put so much into those flashback scenes and they were so sweet and for want of a better word, real. That yeah, I can see where the feedback is coming from. But I just, I'm a romantic Alicia. I just hope that these two crazy kids found some happiness in this messed up
0: world. Yeah, me too. All right, uh, moving on to feedback from the Lorehounds Discord. So for anyone who doesn't know yet, we are part of the Lorehounds Network. They're the publishers of this podcast and we have a silo channel on the Lorehounds Discord. You'll find the link to the Discord in the show notes. And so we have some feedback from people there, starting with David, one of the hosts of the Lorehounds. And he says, a pre-episode six thought, I'm of the mind that the janitors and judicial are not one in the same, but the janitors are a different power center entirely. So there is the civil administration, mayor, sheriff, etc. IT, judicial, and dot, 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 the janitors as all different institutions with various motivations, which are not always aligned. To which Sherry added on Discord, I think Sims might be a plant or mole in judicial from the janitorial group. What do you think, Luke?
1: Yeah, as I said, it's not clear whether Judicial and the Janitors are one organization or two. I think it's fairly clear that Judge Meadows has no idea that Sims has this role with the Janitors. So if it is part of Judicial, it's an organization buried very deep within the substructure of Judicial. I think it's also clear that the janitors have existed since the very beginning of the silo, Mm because it seems like their primary role is to make sure that people don't have access not only to history of the period before the rebellion, but also the prehistory of the silo. In other words, what the world was like before the silo, uh, was constructed but yeah i hope that gets fleshed out in coming episodes or at least gets further fleshed out as the the series um goes along yeah i'm just wondering what happens if somebody accidentally wants to borrow a mop and bucket or something
0: yeah so the guy who opened the apartment at the beginning—he wasn't a janitor; he was a custodian. So, <laughs> why why did they credit him differently? Is there like is there a divide? Um. So Sherry also adds on the Discord. Uh, I'm st- also I'm still confused about Marnes' death. If he was the original target, not the mayor, then why he was against Juliet being sheriff? He didn't seem to know why Holston decided to go outside. He didn't seem to want to become sheriff. What was gained by killing him? If the mayor was the original poisoning target, then I could see them getting rid of him because he was never going to give up trying to find who did it. But why not make it seem like an accident, not murder? Uh, Hell, they could have just pushed him when he was leaning over the stair railing with his beer. It would have just looked like he drunkenly fell or jumped. Luke?
1: Well, that may well have been the original plan, but poor Doug Trumbull, he done messed up at just about every turn possible. I think. Mayor Johns was the original target for an assassination. Mm-hmm. I think once Judicial realized that Mans was not going to stop until he found out who the killer was, then that creates a problem for Judicial because their top priority is to maintain order in the silo. So if Mans had quietly gone about trying to find the killer right. and quietly and unobtrusively bump them off that's one thing but marms was tearing around the silo um beating people up in public that is not a good look for the kind of public order that judicial is trying to maintain so i think at that point it sort of becomes incumbent on judicial to deal with this problem also bear in mind it does create an opening for billings to become um Juliet's
0: chief deputy right i mean yeah i think you know doug trumbull i think he was probably supposed to make it look like an accident like that and you know that was one of the ways in which he what did sim say majorly fucked up or whatever yeah
1: yeah you just can't get the help these days alicia
0: yeah exactly where are the good killers um so finally about episode six uh, again from sherry uh she said that was a great episode why didn't you follow holson's instructions about the flowers in the mirror juliet now we know why people feel like they are being watched i was on the edge of my seat when they showed uh, back up to regina's apartment also i half expected to see that outside scene with the birds that was on the hard drive in that travel book gonna be a long wait for episode seven i think we both agree and then we also got a message from Rebecca Fan. Rebecca Fan says, Episode 6, this was my favorite episode to date. Not only was it a great episode in its own right, but so many things paid off and then went in unexpected directions. And I knew Juliet was flawed, but damn. In that final scene with Juliet, I found the shock on her face paralleled with Charlton Heston's expression when he saw the images of old Earth in Soylent Green. I also loved Martha's talk with Juliet in this episode. It strengthens the mother-daughter dynamic. On a side note, every time someone threatened Juliet, I wanted her to bring out her inner Ilsa or Rose the Hat. For anyone who doesn't know, Ilsa is Rebecca Ferguson's character Mission Impossible, and Rose the Hat is her character in Doctor Sleep, the adaptation to the sequel to The Shining. So yeah, great character development for Juliet indeed. It's really hard to show the inner thoughts and vulnerability of a tough, closed-off character like her, but showing her time with George and seeing her go through what she thought she had... Being turned on its head with new information. It lets us see her as like vulnerable and human, and it helped paint the picture of what's, you know, what she's thinking so that we can better understand her interactions with other people and the decisions she makes going forward. What do you think, Luke?
1: Yeah, I thought in an episode of really strong writing and really strong performances, Walker's little soliloquy to Juliet was um, my favorite part of the episode because walker is kind of mourning the life she had lost that she is trying to help juliet there is sadness there is pity there is quite a bit of self-loathing in there as well because she talks about all the people she used to know out there wandering around the silo and she could leave that workshop at any time except she can't psychologically she can't and i think walker resents the fact that she isn't capable of leaving the workshop yeah so i i thought that little soliloquy was was really touching going back to the flashback scenes with george you can really see the the physicality of rebecca ferguson's performance juliet's a strong lady yeah i mean she's got arms like tree trunks and juliet as a character would because She does a very hard, very physically demanding job, and also I think that explains why she was able to hang on for so long when uh, Doug Trumbull tipped her over the balcony, so yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, agreed. Or climbed up that rope when she climbed down in this first, second episode, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Davy Mack says, I've seen Harriet Walter playing a mother three times this week between Succession, Ted Lasso, and Silo, and she's great in all three shows. And yeah, I would just like to pause for a moment to pour one out for the final episodes of Succession and Ted Lasso, both of which nailed the landing. (laughs) Anything to add, Luke? Yeah, I mean, the incredible thing about Harriet Walter's performances, her face
1: changes completely depending on what you're watching her in. And it's not like she's wearing heavy makeup or a prosthetic nose or anything like that. She has the ability to deliver this completely chameleonic performance. And in some ways, that's the mark of a great actor. But it really is striking the extent to which her whole physicality changes depending on the role.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, she changes her mannerisms and, you know, in the way that she talks and yeah, that creates a whole new character, Yeah, as actors are supposed to do, but some of them are better at it than others. (laughs) And then, yeah, finally, we have from Rocky Zim on the Discord, uh, just finished the episode. Whoever the man is, they don't want to wake up is going to be so mad at whoever keeps leaving their Pez dispensers all over the place. (laughs) Question on a serious note. So Jules planted the as evidence? Why? I got confused there. To make judicial look bad? And yeah, we we talked about this earlier, but to summarize, I think she just needed someone else to find a relic somewhere uh, linked to a serious crime so that she had an excuse to open an investigation into relics in general so that she can try to find out where they're coming from and who would be looking for them and therefore going after George. Okay, well, that's it for the feedback channel this week. If you'd like your feedback discussed on the next episode breakdown, I'll pin a tweet to my Twitter profile and post on the Silo Series subreddit to collect feedback as soon as the episode goes live. And of course, you can always find me on the Lorehounds Discord. Please get your feedback to us by uh, Sunday this week to be included in next week's recording. Any more thoughts on this episode, Luke?
1: I think my closing thought is that I really want them to get to episode seven because I have no earthly idea where this show is going or what could happen next. It's sort of the number of available possibilities is pretty much endless at this point. So, yeah, my closing thought was, um, can we get to next Friday, please?
0: Yeah. Well, episode seven is called The Flame Keepers. And uh, the description Apple released is Bernard seeks Juliet's cooperation as he grows increasingly concerned about the silo security. Juliet asks her father for a favor. Now, the the name The Flame Keepers is generating a lot of theories online. So some people think like maybe it's referring to the rebels and we'll get a flashback to the rebellion. Uh, some people are wondering if we're going to like meet some of the miners Some people say, well, maybe we'll meet the priests of the silo. And others say, yeah, maybe it's the keepers of the secret histories. So whether or not that's the janitors and or the people we saw watching the screens or someone else altogether. Luke, any or all of the above? What's your flame keepers theory?
1: Well, any of those possibilities work. (laughs)
0: Um yeah I mean,
1: it would be really interesting to see the see more about the religious and spiritual aspect of the silo' cause we've looked at that a little bit in terms of the funeral of mans and Mayor Johns. Hmm. um yeah, but any of the possibilities you've just talked about work, so yeah, I'm just really interested to see what happens next,
0: yeah, okay. Um, well, for the flame keepers theory, I, don't, I personally, I like the last one, the keepers of the secret histories. And but this comes from like a very specific and personal reason. So I, I'm part of a Native American tribe called the Potawatomi. And we're considered like the little brother tribe of the Ojibwa and Odawa. And in the Council of the Three Fires, the Potawatomi are called the keepers of the fire. And so it has like exactly that meaning that we describe the group tasked with remembering the history of the brotherhood and keeping the traditions alive. And um, yeah, so if you ever find yourself in Shawnee, Oklahoma, I recommend swinging by the excellent and always growing tribal museum on the Citizen Potawatomi Reservation. But yeah, I I could see that the flame keepers for me, that's the most interesting because I guess I just because I want to know the secrets and I want to follow up to what, you know, we saw on those screens. And I want I want to know all the secrets. So I hope the flame keepers are the people who have the secrets and they tell them to us. But okay, another question, Luke, if you could pick one and only one other deceased character to get the full episode flashback treatment like George got this week, who would you choose?
1: Oh, I'd have to choose Alison. I found Rashida Jones's performance effortlessly charming. I'd like to know more about her life in IT. I'd like to know more about her life with Holston. Although I guess that's cheating because that's not one character, it's two. But I'd really like to just see I'd really like to just spend more time hanging out with the two of them and just um knowing more about their lives and their marriage because they seemed really settled, really interesting, just fun people to hang out with
0: yeah you you're smuggling in a sec- her husband yeah fair fair. <laughs> I guess, yeah, I guess I would kind of have to go with the same just because I would love to, I don't know, I guess I'd love to see more about her digging into that hard drive or to see, you know, what she was up to working in IT when, you know, how she came up with this article she published about how to undelete things. And, you know, what did she undelete to find that? Yeah. So that, okay, that's it for this episode. So as I mentioned, we'll shift us as a member of the Lorehounds Network. Publishers of podcast, a channel full of content just like this, talking about other books and shows like the finales of Barry, Ted Lasso, and the White House Plumbers, and deep dives into Tolkien's Silmarillion and Ursula K. Le Guin's Earthsea books with experts like Marilyn R. Pukila. Uh, watch out for our Across the Spider Verse review episode coming out this week with David, John, and I. Our preview episode is already online. And as for Wolf shift Dust, Luke and I will be back around the same time next week. Luke, Where can people find you until then? So you can find me at at
1: atlootmidup on Twitter. And myself and Alicia watch these episodes through multiple times before we record. So if you want my unfiltered first impression of the episode, I do a live watch along on the Discord. And that will be Friday afternoons, UK time.
0: Okay. Yeah, I hope to see you there. I uh, hope to speak to you, some of you, in the week to come. And for the rest of you, yeah, we'll see you next week. And until then, we'll be packing some pez and browsing some Georgia travel brochures like a couple of cold blooded criminals.